Isaiah 22. <clears throat> Everyone got it? So you remember here we left off with uh, Judah was getting the vision of being besieged by the by the Babylonian armies and we talked about the Valley of Vision and how they were making all these preparations to try to withstand this attack, right? And they, they tried to collect water and they went and raided the armories and they were doing all this other stuff and then... Uh, and then we had that, um, what God had told them there in verse 11. But ye have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. So they were running, doing everything that they could, except for the one thing that they needed to do, which was seek their God. Amen. Um, and, and we kind of talked about that for a little bit. So now we're going to go into verse 12 here. We'll read verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Um, but you'll see that in the day that Judah was doing everything but looking to God to prepare uh, for the Babylonian siege, then God sends this message to him that you know this is what you should be doing. And now let's uh, let's pick up here in verse twelve. And in that day, did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And it was revealed in mine ears by the Lord of hosts, Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord God of hosts. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say, What hast thou here, and whom hast thou here, that thou hast hewed thee out a sepulchre here, as he that heweth him out a sepulchre on high, and, they, and that graveth inhabitation for himself in a rock? Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity, and will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There shalt thou die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. Boy, that's uh, who wants to hear that, you know? That's uh, strong words there. We'll keep on going here. Verse 20. It's okay. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. Whenever you forget to silence a cell phone, it's always when it's at the bottom of the purse when it goes off too. So you got to fumble through everything to get to it. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. 
And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the shore place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Amen. Um, so, that's pretty amazing there. I think those last, we'll definitely touch on those last several verses. But So God had, God had told them that what they should have done was they should have been seeking Him. Amen. Now we go into verse 12, and this is what happens in that day. In, in what, day is, what day are we talking about? In the day that they were preparing to be sieged by the Babylonians, in that day when they should have been seeking God, if they had sought God, God would have, they would have known what, what God wanted from them. The Lord God of hosts had called them to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. And so you think about this. Um, they didn't take heed to his call. Amen. Their sin should have made them weep, mourn, ashamed, and afflicted. But since it didn't, God is kind of pointing out here that if they're not going to weep, mourn, repent, be ashamed of their sin, repent of their sin, if they're not going to do these things, then there's going to be a punishment that's going to come that's going to make them do these things whether they like it or not. So, you know, at the end of the day, God's going to get His way. Amen? We may get away with some things, but I just thought that this was, it was interesting because it, because it says in verse 12, He says, In that day, the Lord God of hosts, He called them to weeping, He called them to mourning, He called them to baldness, He called them... Up to girding with sackcloth. He was calling them to be ashamed. Like, acknowledge your sin, be ashamed of it, turn from it, and repent. But instead of weeping and mourning and baldness and sackcloth, they carried on in joy, gladness, sacrifices, eating, and drinking. That's the way I read that. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness. Can you imagine? God has got to be thinking, you should be ashamed of what you're doing. But instead, you're happy about it. Isn't that the world today? We should be ashamed of our sins. But the world out there is happy about it. God's calling this world to repent. He could come back in any second. It'll be too late then. We'll face judgment. We were talking about this. You think God's just going to sit back while we're murdering babies in the womb and all this other stuff? The gender surgeries and everything? You think we're not going to fall under judgment for that? We're going to give an account for it. Our sin, we should be ashamed of it. We should be afflicted for it. We should weep. We should, you know, it should break our hearts that this is going on. Our own sin should break our hearts. But the world outside, and I hopefully not in our own homes or in our own lives, 
Hopefully, we're not just carrying ourselves. Oh, nothing's wrong. Joy, gladness, nothing's wrong. You know, nothing's wrong with me. Drinking, carrying on. I mean, in the Bible, we see uh, when when um, Jesus was teaching on the, the Olivet Discourse, is what it's titled. And what did he say? That, that they were asking what it would be like before he came back. As in the days of Noah. Noah is what he was talking about. It'd be like in the days of Noah, people would be drinking and marrying and carrying on like nothing's going on. The church, those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great deal of anticipation that comes to us through the study of God's Word that we're looking around and we're thinking, He's coming soon. Amen? They've been looking around and saying He's coming soon since He first ascended into heaven. Those The last days began when He was crucified to begin with, when you really think about it. But, um, you know, so this has been the anticipation of the church for thousands of years now. And everything that's going on, we're just looking around thinking, it can't be much longer. It can't be much longer. It can't be much longer. And you know what? God uses that anticipation in us to kind of keep us on the, on the right track. But uh, So here is Judah. They should be repenting. They should be turning to God. They should um, feel guilty for their sin and be turning to God. But instead, they're carrying on like there's nothing wrong and everything's fine. And, you know, here it is. The Babylonians are coming up the Valley of Vision and here they are. Let's have a party. You know, we've raided the armory. We've got our water supply. Uh, we've uh, breached the walls. They're not getting in here. We're fine. Amen. Everything's fine. That's the world today. Jesus hasn't come back yet, so he's not coming. There's people, those Christians, they don't know what they're talking about. We'll just carry on. Let's all have a party. You don't want to be caught in all that when the Lord comes back. And He is coming. Then we read here, because of their response to God and how they carried on, ignored the message He had sent to, to them, had refused to repent, they were carrying on in joy, gladness, they were slaying oxen, they were sacrificing, um, they were having feasts, they were getting drunk they were you know let us eat drink for tomorrow we shall die here they are babylonians are coming instead of repenting and seeking god they're just doing doing it up doing their own thing and so god says this in verse 14 and it was revealed in my ears by the lord of hosts surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till you die saith the lord god of hosts what a terrible thing for god to come to the conclusion that the sin that was in them was going to remain. It would not be purged until he had taken their physical life. Amen? Um, and you know, I'll, I'll submit to you today that um, if we allow sin in our lives and we carry on in sin and God may send us a warning and we may refuse to repent and He'll send us a warning and we refuse to repent and we harden our heart against God and then He chastises us and we refuse to repent and we harden our hearts towards God and we continue in sin, He could take our own life. He could take our life for that. We can suffer physical death for that. Um, and, I, and I take that to be an illustration that we see here in this Scripture. So, so God was so angered by by their response to him and their behavior that he basically said they're going to die and many of them did go into the babylonian captivity and die there so um you can you can um mark that down and we'll see that at a future time but many of them did die in captivity so um the lord 
In verse 17, he reveals to him, Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity and will surely cover thee. Now, I want to give you this. Two things. One, you'll remember in our study in 2 Kings, there was a, a captivity that was kind of a, a warning against them that if they didn't repent and didn't change, there was going to be a bigger captivity. Um, and so um, that was it from our 2 Kings study. And so this verse, I believe, has twofold viewpoint. One, the captivity that they had already seen because it's, it makes the reference to Eliakim who came into power there in 2 Kings 18, which precedes the 70-year Babylonian captivity that they're getting ready to go into. And the reason I think it's mentioned that way is God was saying, I showed you what was going to happen if you didn't change. It's kind of like a kid gets a timeout before he gets grounded. That's the, I'll put it that way because it makes sense to me that way. You take a kid and they're just refusing to listen, follow the instruction, or they're continuing to do something they shouldn't do, and you say, okay, I'm going to give you a timeout for 15 minutes. And then you let them off timeout and they go right back to smacking their friend on the playground or whatever it is, and you're like, okay, now you're grounded. Same thing with Israel. He gave them a short captivity with Judah, a short captivity that, that he delivered them from and showed them, if you refuse to take heed to my word, listen to my prophets, repent and seek me, you're going to have worse coming. And so they're about to go into the Babylonian captivity. And there, a lot of that is the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah. But I wanted to point that out. So that verse to me has kind of a twofold viewpoint there. And then he's telling this, I, I like this too, because now he's addressing at the same time this individual, Shebna, who was a... Uh, he was a treasurer. He got displaced, if I remember correctly, by Eliakim. Um, so Eliakim comes in and displaces him when he comes into power. And so you kind of have to look at that literal time frame of everything that was happened. So to see that, you'll have to kind of go back to our second king study. Look there in chapters 18 and 19. Um, but Judah's told they're going to be carried away with a mighty captivity. This treasurer has violated something with God. Um, dealing with the sepulchers and all this other stuff, and God's telling him, you're going to be you're going to be cast out. And then God says this in verse 18, He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country, there shall thou die. So Shebna's literally told he's going to die in this country that he goes. So I mean he just he was a transgressor in God's business, okay? Because his position was treasurer over the things of Judah. Um, then we get to Eliakim, and I do want to, before I run out of time, touch on him for a second. So look down in verse 20. And also to contrast Eliakim with um, the Shebna. So Shebna was dealing treacherously with God's business with Judah, God's people, right? Eliakim comes, and you're going to find that Eliakim's ministry and the references we have here in verses 20 through 25 are a lot like what is said about Christ when Christ comes in his ministry. And so what I want to submit to you is um, God always kind of gives us hints in the Bible ju just as Eliakim comes and overthrows Shebna. We're going to have a Christ that comes and his kingdom is going to overthrow the Antichrist. Amen. So you had kind of a bad ruler over Judah, Replaced by good, we're going to see that same pattern. Um, of course, we'll be raptured out before all that comes 
into play. But watch how this Eliakim's ministry really points to Christ. So Eliakim, verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Can you see a similarity to Christ in that? Uh, isn't that amazing? Here's something for you. Eliakim, the name translated, means whom God establishes. Amen. Whom God establishes. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, Eliakim was the chief minister of Hezekiah. You remember we've been studying about Hezekiah? Um, and also, he was the chief minister that went out and had the conference that went out from Judah and all them with Rabshakeh's ambassadors. So um, that kind of points to the fulfillment of what it said here because uh, he would have been uh, somebody that would have directly rebuked Shebna for what Shebna was doing. All right, So he was a chief minister for Hezekiah. He was the one that had um, conference with Rabshakeh. Um, and then you look at his ministry and you think about the visions of Christ when he comes, how he's going to be clothed, the fact that it says the government will be on his shoulders. Um, and, and then it talks about he'll be wonderful, counselor, prince of peace, you, you know, and, and it calls him our father and everything. And so I looked at that in verse 21. I said, man, that really looks like it's pointing to Christ because he's going to be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And look at this in verse 22, in the key of the house of David, well, I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Well, there's our God for you right there. There's Jesus Christ. When he opens a, he opens a door, no man can shut it. When he closes the door, no man can open it. Amen? And so it just points to Jesus all the way around. Verse 23, and I will fasten him as the nail in a sure place. And, he'll, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. See, that Tell me, that is pointing to Jesus right there. Um, there's nothing more sure than the fact that our Christ has paid the price at Calvary. He's the rightful heir to David's throne. It's promised in the scripture. God has to keep his word. Um, and, and, and his throne, the, the throne of Christ, will be a glorious throne that glorifies our heavenly father in heaven. Amen? And so it definitely points points to Christ's reign there, his throne. Um, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even to the vessels of flagons. Now, I, when I was thinking about this in, in, in relationship to what we're seeing with Christ, I'm thinking, well, what they hung on Christ so far was for the glory of God. But it was a very, it was a terrible thing, right? Our sins were placed on him at the cross. He was crowned with thorns. He was mocked and ridiculed. He was, you know, there, that was a, a shameful act of being crucified. But here's the thing. When he comes back, he's coming in glory. Amen. He's coming in glory. And, and, and the throne will be in Jerusalem. It will be his. And, uh, and he will reign for 1,000 years, judging all the things of the earth what an amazing thing. So first he had the sins of the world on him, but soon he will be glorified. Um, he, was glor he is glorified now, but when he returns, he returns in glory. Verse 25, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the shore place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. So 
a specific a specific prophecy concerning uh, Judah um, as they are removed into Babylonian captivity, but a lot of foreshadowing here with the reign of Christ. But this verse 25 is what I close out tonight. I want you to think of it this way. Just like in this day that the Lord's talking about, shall the nail that is fastened in the shore place be removed and be cut down and fall. The burden that was upon it shall be cut off. You know what? When the Lord returns, when the rapture happens, the fact that Jesus Christ has been crucified, the fact that our sins have been placed on him, the opportunity to accept Christ, that opportunity is now gone. For those that have heard the gospel and everything else, um, so I look at it as a passing of opportunity. You know, just as this nail that was fastened in a short place will be removed, there's going to come a day when the dispensation of grace comes to an end and the dispensation of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ begins. And God's dealing with man becomes completely different at that point in time. And so while I'm not going to get into preaching on the kingdom because that's a hard one for me to teach on because a lot of it I don't understand yet. And I personally believe a lot of it is hard for the church to understand because it's not for us. It may be, we may have the Bible to help us kind of anticipate it, but there's a lot we won't understand because that's a time of, we will be in heaven already. We're raptured. We begun in a mystery. We're removed in a mystery. The rapture is mystery. And then prop, the final prophecy fulfillments concerning Israel all we know is there's going to be tribulation. He gives us some information about it. He's coming back. We come with him. We get to be a part of how all that is really going to go and what all is going to happen. We don't really, we, we can't, our, our, we just don't understand enough. We don't know. Um, but it's going to be amazing. I can tell you that because God is going to, he's going to bring the, the justice to earth. Um, and he's going to cleanse and he's going to purge and we're going to have this millennial kingdom and it's going to be, you know, the lion and the lamb and everything. It's going to be amazing. And so we have something to look forward to. But time's running out for those of us around us that refusing to repent. God's called them to weeping, mourning, baldness, and girding with sackcloth. But behold, instead, they carry on joyfully with gladness eating and being merry and drinking and pretending that nothing's going to go wrong. And they're going to be wrong if they don't change. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these Bible studies in Isaiah. And, uh, and Lord, I know I'm, I'm probably not the most equipped and best teacher on the subjects that are in this word, Lord, but you are and your Holy Spirit is. And I know that, that through you, Lord, you can bring out some spiritual truth in each lesson that will help us, um, one, live our best for you, Lord, and two, have anticipation um, for the fact that one day, Lord, this dispensation of grace will end. And, uh, and Lord, we're looking forward to the rapture and we're looking forward to, to seeing the, the millennial reign of our Savior on earth and everything. It's going to be amazing. But at the same time, it's bittersweet, Lord, because we care about people that we know have not gotten saved yet, and we want them to get saved before it's too late. And uh, Lord, we know that there is such thing as the passing of opportunity. And so, God, we just pray tonight that you'll continue to use us in the lives of those around us, that we can continue to minister to them, and that the people that are not saved, Lord, that they will get saved. 
before it's everlasting too late. Lord, we just ask that you will bless each one here as we leave here tonight. Keep everyone safe. Help everyone have a good remainder to their week. And then help us get back this Lord's Day for a wonderful um, worship service and Sunday school and communion service. God, we just ask your blessing be on our church. Bless each member of our church. We ask that you will remember the prayer request once again. Touch each one of those needs. God, we need you. We love you and we thank you. We can't do anything without you. And we thank you for taking such good care of us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.